Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1, that is the first place we will start. I hope you like to turn in your Bibles and, and go back and forth and on topical subjects and see what we can share about faith again tonight. We've talked about faith, the importance of faith. We've considered how we can grow in faith. And tonight we're really going to let God's Word do the speaking to our hearts as we might look into God's Word and see how the Bible describes faith. And we've already been on the subject for a few weeks, so without further ado, just just right into our first point and what we see here at the beginning of this second letter that that God wrote through Peter. First verse, first chapter. He says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. How does the Bible describe faith as precious? Uh, I saw several descriptions of faith and I wanted to start with that one. It just delighted my heart to stop and consider what God used this fisherman to write about concerning faith, that it's precious. That word precious, it speaks of high honor. It speaks of great value or high price. And the Word of God is saying that faith is precious. What makes faith so precious? We are made acceptable to God by faith. Nothing to do with ourselves. Nothing to do with our moral standard and how it measures to this world or the good things that are done in humanity. We're not made acceptable to God by those things. But we are made acceptable to God by faith. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are made right with God by faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. To be made right with God, it requires faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is this spiritual quality, this spiritual substance from heaven that is given to us by the Word of God. God gives us what we need to be made acceptable to Him. It's good when people get a hold of that. And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. So faith is of very high value. And the way Peter says it is that it's precious. 
Let me say this also, and I invite you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 11, and verse 21. Faith is without boundaries. As I say that faith is without boundaries, let me first say this. There's a big difference in faith and foolishness. Faith without boundaries, that doesn't mean that that God's just going to do anything that we want Him to do. He's, He's too good to us to give us that. We don't know what's best for us. He's not going to give us everything we ask for, but at the same time, I'd like to say that faith is without boundaries. John eleven twenty one. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. We notice her frustration in verse 21, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. But we notice her faith throughout the rest of the verses. We notice her faith without boundaries. Jesus is taking her there to a place where her faith would be without boundaries. Jesus wants us to be absolutely assured of what He can do. He gave assurance that Lazarus would rise again. Anything that Jesus has promised that He's going to do, that we read of in His Word, be sure of this, He will do it. Jesus wanted Martha to have faith in the fact of the resurrection, but most importantly, the means of resurrection. You notice an I am statement in verse 25 to clarify for her. I am the resurrection and the life. I've said this a few different ways throughout a few of these messages, but the most important thing about faith is who our faith is in. The dead tree can be laying across that river, that that little stream, and you can put all the faith you want into that tree that you're going to get across that stream, but if that tree is rotten, you're going to get wet. And it doesn't matter how much faith you put in that tree. Our our faith is about what our faith is in. Some people have faith in faith. Some people have faith in self. But the most important thing about our faith is who it's in. We believe in the resurrection 
We believe in resurrection because Jesus tells us about it. He has accomplished it. And He shall accomplish it again. Therefore, we have assurance as those who have trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior that we're not going to experience ultimate death. Ultimate death being separation from God for all eternity. We have assurance that's not happening to those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. We are going to live. We're going to live with Him for all eternity. Jesus has authority over death. So can we, can we have faith and, and understand it's described as being without boundaries? Because anything, according to the will of God, He can do. Be sure of that. With God, all things are possible. When we consider the entire Word of God and all Jesus has done that we read of, all that He promises to do, we see why faith is described as without boundaries. But let's turn to Titus now at the end of First and Second Timothy. You get to Titus, the pastoral epistles, and we see that faith is the same. I'm going to read the beginning of Titus, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness and hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. But hath in due times manifested His word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior to Titus, mine own son, after the common faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Faith is the same. Paul is writing to his son, he says. Spiritually speaking, Titus is his son in the faith. The man who led me to the Lord, I, I called him my spiritual dad. How wonderful is the family of God. And he's writing to Titus, his son, after the common faith. Paul and Titus were saved by the same faith. I get excited to talk about the Apostle Paul. I get excited to preach sermons about him. He's probably the greatest example of a Christian and a servant of God that we have. There's probably not, no argument to that. But, but let's make sure that we don't make more of Paul than any other Christian in another way. He was saved the same way we were. By faith. Don't get too caught up in needing a Damascus Road experience. Literally. He had to be saved by faith. He and Titus were saved by the same faith. We are all saved by the same faith. You know, as far as being critical of doctrines, there, there's a 
need for warning in that to do so. Because when we talk, to, talk about being saved by the same faith, what is that? Well, Ephesians 2 and 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Okay, there's a problem for some in that. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There is only one who purchased our salvation at such a cost as the high price He paid. There is one Lord and Savior who saves us all through faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our faith is described as common here. There's a common true faith that saves. It's the same. It took the same thing for all of us to be saved. How about what we have in common? How about that common faith? That makes division very unspiritual in the church. Faith is described as great. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 10. Okay, let me go back and let me, let's go back to verse 5 and, and start there. And we'll focus on verse 10. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled, and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no not in Israel. How about Jesus marveling over something in this centurion's life? And it was faith. And he called it great. It's very likely that this centurion had a pagan background. And, and so some would say it wouldn't be likely that he would be one to have great faith. But he said, speak the word only, and thy servant shall be healed. And, and we'll talk about the, all those other details in just a minute. But Jesus marveled when he heard this man's faith spoken, and he said, it's great. Jesus marvels over faith. We... We've talked about growing in faith. It, it pleases the Lord. How about faith that is set apart? Jude, right before Revelation, Jude and verse 20 of the only chapter there. 
faith is described as set apart. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. I say this is described as set apart because holy means set apart. We're to live our daily lives every day by faith. It takes faith to come to the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, and then that is how our lives are to be continually lived by faith. Your most holy faith, the Bible says. Meaning, meaning faith is to be entirely focused on the Lord, on God and His will for our lives. We consecrate ourselves to God by serving Him. We are built up by a set-apart faith. Faith is holy. The Bible describes faith as holy. What are we tempted to put our faith in concerning our everyday lives? What, what passion, what desire comes to our minds that's going to make our day, that's going to make our week, that's going to help us to keep going? We're missing the mark. If there's anything but the Lord right there first, and, and only really because all things come from Him. I'm not speculating your list but a, but a verse in Deuteronomy comes to my mind. It is the Lord that giveth thee power to get wealth. Everything comes from Him. We're to have a, and, and when we have a set apart faith, it's a daily life of faith that is focused on Him. And then let's turn to Luke chapter 7 and verses 6 and 7 where Jesus marveled over this centurion's faith. We've already read the account. A little bit different words, but the, nothing contradictory. The same, the same truth here. And so, just picking up in verse 6, it says, Then Jesus went with them after the centurion had called for him to come heal the sick servant. Then Jesus went with them and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. Jesus marveled at his faith we've already shared. Jesus said that his faith was great. But can't we describe his faith now as, as humble? You know, I don't mean to pick or be sarcastic about athletes and different people who who are on top of their sporting game and, and they just they say, well, I'm just going to stay humble. Good luck at that. Not that we live by luck, I'm just saying that humility, that is something that the Lord gives. Jesus marveled at His faith. His faith was great. And we see humility here. 
And this man, this centurion, who was a Roman soldier, a military leader, but he felt unworthy for Jesus to come under his roof. He had faith and he sent for Jesus to heal the servant. But at the same time, he didn't even think himself worthy to go to Jesus. Even by faith, he had great faith. And, and we say here that he has a humble faith. But let's look at a small faith in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 26. I'll go ahead and start in verse 23. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Jesus says to his disciples who were with him, who he was training, they were following him. And he says, why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? The disciples of Christ had a terrifying moment. They were turned upside down. They were helpless and out of control. They obviously believed that by Jesus being asleep, that they were unable to be helped concerning the trial that they were in. And little faith, caused this. Many people have these moments though. Even the strongest children of God, as you might think, will have moments of doubt, will have moments of fear coming over them. Jeremiah, the prophet, was ready to quit at one point. Elijah when fleeing from Jezebel, felt alone. Peter looked to Christ and he started walking on the water. And when he started looking around him, he started to sink. It just may be that added with everything around him were the disciples speaking doubt very possibly as he went down. It happens. There are times when, when faith can be small. It's not to stay there. It shouldn't be there. Not to stay there, but it happens. Don't think everything's all over in those moments. Realize, we realize how precious faith is when we see the difference. You know... We really need to be prepared. We need to be prepared for what any day may present us. How, how better to be prepared than starting the day with the Lord, starting with a word from His into our ear, from our eye, from through our eyes into our hearts, to prepare us for whatever the day may hold because we could find ourselves in a place of having small faith. But also, faith matures in the book of James, in chapter 2, in verse 22. 
It says, Seest thou how faith wrought in his works, and by works was faith made perfect. And that word perfect means complete. It speaks of maturing faith here. It's kind of tempting to get off into the, a doctrinal thought of this. I'll, let me just say this. Works are a product of faith. We're not saved by works. But how do we explain some of these things it says in James? True saving faith is going to be a working faith. The maturity of faith will be seen by what we do. And, and there's an example of that in my next point. We're going to talk about a united faith in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, and I'm going to read the first five verses, and we're going to see an example of that maturing faith that is seen in works. So, Mark, chapter 2, In verse 1, And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they led down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Wow, as, as far as maturity seen by what we do, overlapping the last point with this one, these four men carried one sick of the palsy and they dug the roof out. The roof was made of pitch and straw and different things. Not, not taking shingles and plywood off. They were digging the, the, the substance that they made a roof with in that day out and, and presenting that man down through the roof to Jesus because there were so many crowded around that they couldn't get through. The evidence of their faith was seen in their actions. They got this sick man to Jesus. But as far as our point on, on faith being described as united, notice, do you notice there how it says their faith? There, there, was, there, there were men on each corner, four men, and they were carrying this man sick of the palsy. And every one of them believed that Jesus could heal him. 
They all four had the same uh, united faith. They believed Jesus could heal him. And, and when they got to the crowd and, and it was impossible to get to Jesus, as they were walking, they all agreed to send him down through the roof. When we get together in a united faith, the things that God can do, praise the Lord. This, this is definitely speaking of the four. Some believe that the paralyzed man was, was one who also had faith. So whether it's the four or all five, and, and you explain his sins being forgiven uh, as some other way, bottom line, they were united in faith. They were working together in a united faith. They all believed Jesus could heal and they were all in agreement of the actions that took place. When we are led by faith, we work together. It's the same faith. It's one faith. It's one Lord. It's, it's one baptism. It's one God and Father of all. When we're led by faith, we work together. How about the woman of Canaan whose daughter was grievously vexed with the devil? A title, I'm stealing a title I used at church camp a few years ago, the last one I preached. Unshakable faith. She wasn't part of that camp series, but she has unshakable faith. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 15 and verse 27 this is too good just to read a, a little bit of it. Let me back up, see where we need to start. Verse 21, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon, and behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. He says her faith is great, but... but let us also look at the obstacles that seem to be placed before her. And we see an unshakable faith. I'd, I don't mean begging and begging and begging God until He gives us what we ask for. That might not be good. But a faith that can't be shaken no matter what, when we know what Jesus promises, when we know what Jesus can do, when we know what, what doesn't sound like Jesus and what does sound like Jesus. She had an unshakable faith. But let's look in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, 
in verse 13, and we're going to look at a rootless faith. Now the parable is this, verse 11. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they, which when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. We're talking about growing faith. If there's no root system, there's no way for it to grow. You know, we can, we can hear what we need to hear to live by faith. And, and maybe it won't appear that we, that we would take a stand to reject what we hear. But at the same time, with some there can be no conviction or desire to actually obey it. And then when troubles come about in our life, there's no faith to kick in to help those troubles. There's no standing fast. There's no continuing in faith. There's no being strong in faith. It's, it's less than little faith. There's no abounding. There's no grounding. There's no holding fast. And, and there's no assurance of true faith. There's no assurance of it. May there be no rootless faith here. But as I say this and as we close, how about trembling faith? That almost sounds good, but in James 2.19, it says the devils also believe and tremble. There are many who who would agree with you that they don't believe in evolution, they don't believe in Buddha, they don't, Muhammad's not their God, and they say, I believe the truth is Jesus. There's people who will believe that, that Jesus was born of a virgin, that He lived a sinless life, He was baptized, that He died, that He was truly killed, He died on a cross, for our sins, that He resurrected, that He ascended back to heaven. There are those who, yes, I, I believe in that second coming. There are some that you've witnessed to, and, and, and maybe I can sum up, and maybe it's similar to this. I, I believe in Jesus Christ. Leave me alone. You, you, maybe you need church, and, and you go on to church. Hey, I believe in Jesus Christ. What more can you say about that? Leave me alone. Leave me alone. The, the devil, the demons, they also believe and they tremble. The devil clearly believes everything about Jesus that, that we just said. And, and everything. He believes it all. Yet he's not saved. There is more to saving faith than believing the information. There's regeneration. 
We're regenerated. We're made alive by God when we're saved by faith. There's sanctification. He sets us apart. We're not perfect. And, and, and we could stray, but our lives are never the same again when we're saved. There, there's inspiration. We have a desire from God to, be, to do what we do as children of God. There's conviction. Do you believe the truth about Jesus? Many would give a comfortable yes. Have you been born again? That's, a di- that's just simply a distant thought from some who would say they believe and it's foreign to them. It's a distant concept and it hasn't been experienced. And if that's anyone listening online, that's anyone listening tonight. It's our prayer that you would place faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins, to save you from your sins. There's been the describing of faith as the Word of God describes faith tonight. And if in the describing of faith, it has caused you to doubt, let me tell you one thing. There, there's, there should be no preacher or no teacher trying to make any saved person doubt their salvation in any way. If there is doubt, that's something that needs to be dealt with. There is trouble that is, that is coming to your heart, and it's from the conviction of the Holy Spirit drawing you, that you might be saved by true saving faith. Not, not dead faith, but, but a, a living, saving faith. I remember one boy who was saved at camp out of the 24 this past summer who made professions, and he, he said, I, I said I believed, I thought I believed, but, and he said it right up here, he said, but, but I place my faith now. It, I place faith in Jesus, and I know He saved me. How important faith is, Amen. And if anyone needs to talk, uh, please don't leave the sanctuary before we can take care of some spiritual business together. And with that, I'm going to ask Gene Schapa if he will close our Bible study in a word of prayer. Brother Mike may be putting uh, back on the, the screen the, the mission work we were able to be a part of. I don't know if he can do that as he closes things down or not, but I want to say thank you to Mike for getting that done tonight. God bless you all.